Computer, initialize Holosuite. Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and joining me is a Vendorian taking the form of my good friend Andrew, which I assume is uh, part of a uh, fiendish Romulan plot to sabotage the podcast. Uh, Andrew, or or Vendorian Andrew, uh, what's happening? How are you? Well, you know what they say, Matt, you know, the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night and he's watching us all with the eye of a tiger. So uh, I guess that makes me the uh, the lone survivor uh, here on uh, RTR when uh, we look at the survivor from the animated series. It's true. Yes, very true. Yes. Uh, as we often do, actually, as we always do, uh, let's just quickly revisit the end of our last podcast where I took a complete stab in the dark. I'm fully willing to admit that I had no clue what happened on this episode. Um, I took a stab at the dark with the survivor. Uh, Andrew, give me the goods. Tell me how horribly awful I did. And give me a score out of five Romulan battle cruisers. Well, in fact, you actually did quite well here. You said that the the uh, Enterprise will encounter a derelict ship, which is in fact true. You said that there will be a single survivor, a lone survivor on said ship. Also true. Uh, now, I think that you said that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy would beam over um, and uh, the engines would be broken or it would be in badly uh, disrepair, which actually is true. Um, they don't beam over, but the ship is in a state of disrepair from a meteor shower. Uh, you said that Scotty would try to uh, fix the engines while Kirk, Spock, and McCoy unravel a uh, kind of ship-wide mystery. And although that's kind of not technically the way that it plays out, they do have to unravel the mystery of why all these strange things are occurring and there is a point where um, the survivor mucks about with the uh, Enterprise and Scotty has to try to fix it. So actually, I feel like you're going to get those points there as well. Um, and a red shirt dies. Uh, I am thinking that this is actually quite good. Um, for a complete shot in the dark, um, the only thing really that you didn't get was obviously all the, the intricacies and things like that. But you generally have the overall story arc. Uh, you mentioned that a red shirt was going to get killed at some point, which I don't think happens. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go four out of five on, on a complete uh, shot in the dark uh, Hail Mary attempt. I think that you got all the big points. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with four uh, Romulan Warbirds out of... Sorry, Romulan Battlecruisers uh, out of five. So well done, Matt. Well, it's quite a shot. I uh, I actually hit the target, which is not all what I was expecting. So uh, 
Maybe I need to go buy a couple lottery tickets uh, tomorrow and uh, see if my run of good luck will continue. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, four out of five lottery balls, that's definitely got to be worth at least a couple thousand bucks. Well, perhaps you'll uh, hear about it on the next uh, podcast, or <laughs> perhaps you'll also hear me... Uh, Never see Matt unha- again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may disappear forever. Who yeah. Knows? Do they have Star Trek uh, down in the Caribbean uh, when you own your own island? I'm sure I could get it there <laughs> one way or another. Exactly. All right. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, The Survivor, which is from the animated series. Uh, is it? I guess Star Trek, the animated series. It's from Season 1, Episode 6. It originally aired on October 13th, 1973, well before either of us were born. It has a rare guest star, uh, Ted Knight, uh, who does the voice of Carter Winston slash Vendorian. It was written by James Schmirer and directed by Hal Sutherland. Uh, well, let's uh, get into this now. As you, oftentimes we'll sort of go over some story development or, or whatnot, but there really was not anything out there that I could find. I mean, I think that that's kind of common for the animated series because it was produced so long ago. So let's just jump right into it, Andrew. Are you are you ready for this? Ready to get animated? Uh, yeah, actually, you know what, uh, Matt, I think that maybe uh, you should uh, start us off here and uh, I'll just kind of spend the first five or ten minutes uh, picking through the hat of episodes and uh, pulling out all the animated ones and putting them directly into the garbage <laughs> can. I uh, I know that I know that put them back in the replicator. <laughs> I uh, I mean I don't want to say that this episode is uh, bad or that the animated series was bad, uh, but uh, this is pretty bad. Uh, and this uh, just so everybody is uh, well aware. Uh, I mean it's not going to be a long time, but I I think that uh, you know prepare yourself for a little bit of. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a, of a slog here uh, to get through the old uh, Survivor here on the animated series. All right, consider yourselves warned. <laughs> Andrew is uh, was, was unimpressed with this. Uh, so the episode begins with uh, the Enterprise finds this like one man, one person vessel adrift near the Romulan neutral zone. Now, isn't that normally just like a recipe for disaster whenever they're anywhere near the Romulan neutral zone? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where they kind of amp up the uh, intensity or amp, amp up the pressure just by the sheer fact that they are near those dastardly Romulans. Um, and I mean, I guess I, I'm not, again, a master of the original series, but uh, I definitely feel like they didn't really overuse the Romulans in the original series. They're only really in a handful of kind of super memorable episodes. And so, you know, it's it's definitely the one thing I was interested in was, you know, how is that going to translate over into the animated series as well as, you know, is this going to be a nice link between the original series Romulans and then eventually what we do see in the next generation? Um, uh, and I think that that's, yeah, maybe my kind of favorite part of it is the fact that we're in the neutral zone, uh, original series style, and there is some potential here for sure. Well, yeah, how many season three episodes of The Next Generation started exactly like this? Like, oh, we're near the neutral zone. 
I, I was, oh, this one almost reminded me a little bit of uh, The Defector, which is that one where they send that, they, they feed that one admiral guy with like complete misinformation, knowing that he's sort of got this like extreme moral compass and that he's going to go to the, deliver that uh, misinformation to the Federation to try to provoke some sort of treaty violation that the Romulans can jump in and be like, aha, you guys are starting a war. And, uh, you know, it's the, that's the kind of, this is kind of similar to some of those, like, Romulan plots that we got in uh, the, the Next Generation, which I think was kind of cool. Yeah, and I was getting a little bit of the Enterprise incident as well, just with respect to the fact that they were kind of, like, cruising into, well, sorry, Kirk tells them to, to go into the, the neutral zone without any... Uh, you know, re rationale or reason. He's just saying basically like, nope, we're going in. Um, obviously that episode's better than this one, but uh, it uh, it definitely had that kind of feel, at least in the middle part when they just are uh, following Kirk's orders directly, you know? Yeah, even though they made no sense. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So they discover that this ship belongs to uh, Winston Carter, who is a well-known philanthropist. Now, do they have philanthropists in the 23rd century because they don't have money? Right. Um, <laughs> I, that's a great question. One of which I'm not really, I didn't even think of that until you just said it right there. Um, I mean, I guess you don't necessarily need to be like a philanthropist of money. Maybe he takes like stuff from the earth and goes around the, you know, around the solar systems to kind of give resources and stuff. Because, I mean, there isn't money, but there is, like, a lack of resources. So I, I guess you could go and give dilithium and other things to people. That would be equally as as philanthropic. Fair enough. I mean, I think they just sort of threw that in there to give him that sort of cachet of being, like, this really well-known really generous and good individuals so they would be inclined to help him and and you know do what they need to 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 help him out with his you know busted up ship yeah it was kind of funny actually because it was only really last week where we had um the that episode where uh they found the guy that they thought was um Zephyr, Zephyr Cochran, right so that's uh that's kind of a cool little connection there just in the rtr world yeah there's always those little like serendipitous uh connections between episodes sometimes that we get yeah and i kind of like this a little bit more than you know um in current new trek where it's kind of more hammering you over the head with it um and it's a lot of callbacks and throwbacks and uh almost like i know you've mentioned this like sometimes it gets a little bit family guy in a way where they're constantly calling back. I kind of like these ones where they're a little bit more subtle and it's it's more coincidence or happenstance than like a, a conscious effort to try to make it the same as what we've already seen. It's true. Yep. They are a little bit more subtle. Now, okay, McCoy does two kind of weird things. Number one, he gets extremely worked up that Mr. Spock wants them to go through the protocol of like confirming his identity which I thought was really weird. Why would why, It doesn't make any sense that he would get all worked up about that. And then the other weird thing is he scans this Car Winston Carter and he notices that the those readings are all like off. And he's like, ah, it's just the instruments. Yeah, I know, doesn't right? Doesn't that seem a little bit odd that he would just sort of 
that he would get these like really odd readings and just completely dismiss it and be like, no, nah, it's just the instruments. They need to be, you know, recalibrated. Yeah. And especially since, I mean, it makes him seem really nefarious because he's the one who doesn't want to do it. And then they like kind of say like, no, no, we're doing it anyway. And then it shows to be like immediately that something is awry. And then his explanation or his rationale doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So it's kind of like, oh, wait, they definitely should be checking this over again because it's not really flying with what we would expect in terms of like um, getting those things. Like, I don't really know what tests they're doing, but blood tests or DNA tests or whatever. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I always love that. I know I've said it before, but I love in the Dominion War when they did the blood tests to check to see if you were a changeling. And it, it just kind of creates that really interesting dynamic, right? Where if somebody doesn't want to do it, it's like, well, why don't you want to do it, right? And that, I mean, does that kind of make you seem more guilty or something? Yeah, I don't. those two things both really kind of jumped out at me as being very odd and very weird because, because, yeah, he was at first really was put out by the fact that they even would suggest that, like, I don't know, maybe it was because he was so famous that he was like, well, why do we have to test this guy? So everyone knows who he is, but then he does it, and it comes out all haywire, and he's like, ah, it's just the instruments. Like, he just seemed like, he really seemed like he really didn't, he really wanted to believe that this guy was who he says he was. I feel, they used to do that in the old James Bond movies, right? Where they'd be say like, uh, well, maybe it's uh, Max Zorin, and they'd be like, He's a leading French industrialist. He's one of the richest men in the world. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's the reason why you should go and check him out, right? Um, yeah, like uh, celebrityism shouldn't really uh, omit you from uh, following the rules or the regulations. But as we know, even in our own world, that's not usually the case. Uh, in fact, I would say it's rarely the case. <laughs> exactly. All right, so there's this really bizarre twist of fate. <laughs> I was going to say bizarre, weird, strange. We're using all of the uh, adjectives. Far-fetched. Far-fetched, yeah. Yeah, so this Winston Car- Carter's, uh, is this guy's fiance is a security officer on the Enterprise. Yep. And then he immediately goes to her and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. And he is like adamant. He's like, I've changed too much. I can't marry you like that is what are the odds of that yeah <laughs> i mean happening? it's it's pretty uh it's 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 pretty outlandish i mean even for star trek um also didn't they mention that he's been missing for like years at one point i feel like it was a f- pretty long period yeah time, like yeah, this uh this woman is definitely dedicated to uh this uh engagement here um, because like, uh, she still thinks that it's going to kind of go off without a hitch or whatever. But I mean, if somebody goes missing for years, uh, isn't that kind of, doesn't that kill the engagement? I think that it's kind of part of the, of the gig, right? Is that you, you kind of have to be like around, you can't be a missing person. <laughs> yeah. According to my notes, it says over that he was missing for more than five years. Yeah. After five years, it's, it's done and dusted, man. That is uh, did you ever see that movie, um, uh, the one with Tom Hanks where he gets lost on the island, Castaway. Castaway. You've seen that yeah, one? I've, oh, yeah. So, I've, I mean, oh, yeah, I saw it. spoiler alert. Hated the end. Yeah, spoiler alert to anybody that's never seen it. But uh, <laughs> basically, he's stuck on this island forever. And uh, when he comes back, he goes to, like, uh, meet up with his wife. And 
the wife has like moved on and has like a new husband and, and kids and everything else. And he's kind of like left in the lurch. And I know a lot of people didn't like that ending, but I mean, the reality of it is that's just what would happen. Like, I, I hate to say it, but people are not really, um, they're not really known for their patience when it comes to uh, romance, especially in situations like that one. And like this one where, I mean, you're missing in space for five years. Yeah, you're not coming back. When I say I hate the ending, I mean like the end. Oh, the, the crossroads. And where he's sitting at the crossroads, and yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, that's kind of. I, I know I, I'm a little older now, and I understand what they're trying to do and trying to say, but I didn't. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, it's like it. it's a little bit of like a non-ending, right? We we can't come up with a good idea, guys. So we'll have him like standing at a literal crossroads, and then we'll cut to black, and everyone can just make up their own. Uh, you know, vision of what happens or read the novelization. I don't know. Well, it's the old, we'll, we'll uh, see how well it does. And if we make a sequel, we'll just like pick it up right, right there. Yes. Castaway too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, this, this is, I mean, essentially for me. And again, I don't really, I, I have no love loss for the animated series. Um, but like, th this is where it's just like, really? Like, are you guys serious? You couldn't come up with something more believable or even like why do you even really need this at all i mean i guess it does kind of bring him back to like some form of humanity a little bit later but i kind of feel like this is just like too far-fetched even for children i could almost see like children of the 70s like sitting there being like really come on <laughs> it's a it's a leap of faith even for a eight-year-old child yeah exactly uh, now we get this weird thing where we discover that he's actually an imposter he's not really winston he's this weird alien that looks kind of like an octopus float floating through the air yeah and he does like that arm cross thing as well i, I was gonna ask you what is that from i feel like that's ripped off of yeah something. isn't it from uh mork of uh mork and mindy or uh, bewitched maybe you might be right. I feel like Bewitched maybe was one. I, of I I I felt like that was from something. I'd seen it somewhere before. You might be right. Yeah, I think in Bewitched she used to kind of cross her arms and be go like ding every time she did like magic. Um, could be could be that. But anyways, so yeah, apparently if he like touches you with his tentacle, he can then take your form. So he takes his, the form of Kirk. He goes to the bridge and he has him heads straight for the neutral zone to some. He made up some nonsense about, oh, there's a planet that's, like, in peril. We have to go and save them. And they kind of, Spock kind of questioned it, but in the end, they just did it. Which is, as you mentioned already, it's kind of, they already kind of did that in the Enterprise incident, which... Which, I mean, that means it's somewhat believable that it would actually, like, happen, you know? Like, you know, I, I feel like in that situation, they've already shown that the crew is going to follow Kirk, even if there isn't the exact uh, rationale. So uh, I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't like that. It's just, I guess, kind of maybe the execution more than anything. Um, and uh, yeah, this like imposter thing is kind of interesting. I wonder if this is where the writers of Deep Space Nine got the idea for the changeling. Well, yeah, that's almost what I was thinking when I was watching through this. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because that was kind of how the changelings tried to stir up trouble, right? They would take the form of someone else and they would go and they would start having them do crazy things. I think of that, uh, that two-part Deep Space Nine episode where they infiltrate earth and i they get that admiral guy like all riled up and he tries to 
basically he basically tries to take over the government and that was and this is kind of the similar idea where they sort of have this they recruit this alien that can change form and they send him to the enterprise and uh he starts doing silly you know crazy things that are going to provoke them i thought it was very romulan yeah i mean that 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 was not too bad um Although I I am kind of worrying that you're convincing me that this is maybe better than than I think. Um, hey, don't listen to me. What the hell do I? <laughs> um, I I do feel like there is there is some good here. I just um, not to be not to like be too punny here, but it's like all kind of a bit cartoonish. The fact that you know it's this big octopus with the tentacles, and you know you have to basically touch somebody then you can become him and he changes a lot actually so uh you know at one point he's kirk and then he becomes mccoy and then he he kind of jumps around and, and is changing quite a bit um which i i almost kind of feel like i would have maybe preferred if it was like it was just kirk and that was it kirk was left in the room and that was all um but again yeah, I don't know. Something about the execution here is is what is throwing me, I guess. Well, it could be the next point that I we're, we're going to talk about here. Um, the the hole in his plan, the fatal flaw in his pl- in this plan is that Kirk wakes up and like five seconds later he goes to the bridge and there he's like, "Why are we going to the neutral zone? That's a, I didn't do that. What's going on here? Uh, take us out of the neutral zone." I mean, that pretty much spoils the whole plan. Uh, well, not quite foils the whole plan, but I mean, if he had had the means of making sure that Kirk didn't wake up, he could have done all kinds of crazy stuff, and 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 that would have been the end of it, right? They would have been able to basically do, you know, make this see this plan through to the end without any hiccups. Right, and one of the things that I kind of felt too was just the fact that you know, if he had just knocked him out for. Like I did, he, and that was the other thing. Like, does the tentacle knock you out, or, um, you know, what exactly is it that's knocking him out? Because if he had just waited a little bit longer, then it would have went off like no problem, and and that kind. Or even if he just locked Kirk's door or something, you know, um, that would kind of prevent this from happening. Because essentially, every time that he changes, it, it becomes pretty clear pretty fast. Like, oh, it must be that guy that we just brought on board that's causing all this ruckus right yeah that's true yeah if he just like been able to incapacitate him for like a day instead of like five minutes it would have worked 10 times better this is what they went with and uh yeah as we kind of hit the halfway mark um i don't know i'm not saying that it's it's a complete loss or a complete waste but um yeah i just i i'm not really I, I mean, I guess I'm just not really engaged with it. All right, we have another kind of bizarre sequence here. So Winston uh, then goes to impersonate McCoy in sickbay, and then he tries to convince Anne, the security officer that he was engaged to, to forget about him. And he keeps going on about how, oh, I've changed too much. I'm a different person now. You should just forget about me. But he does it like with McCoy's. McCoy just out of nowhere. Try, you know, starts to give this uh, this Anne person some 
<laughs> some advice just for no reason. It was a really kind of bizarre scene. I think. Yeah, I felt like it was kind of like they wanted to, I guess, maybe show that this guy was starting to feel like kind of bad about the fact that he used Winston to to kind of be the thing and it's having, you know, an adverse effect because of this big coincidence. So now he's going to try to like band-aid it together. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's like, why would you do it as... Like, I guess maybe it was, was McCoy also like a counselor slash like a mental health expert? I don't think that's ever brought up ever. So that doesn't really make sense either. But um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. It just it comes off as really clunky and strange. Yeah, I think strange is certainly a word I would use to describe that whole uh, that whole exchange. It just was really weird and didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, now, uh, there's that, now there's a clever scene where Kirk and Spock walk in and they realize that they find McCoy and they realize that, um, he's like, he's, <laughs> Winston is impersonating like the sick bay bed. Yes, that is And then funny. Kirk like threatens him with like that acid. Yeah. I'll pour the acid <laughs> on you. And it's like, it burns through anything. Um, the one thing I do like, except the vial that it was being held in. Right. Yeah, exactly. What's <laughs> it being held in? Um, the one thing I would say that I do like is that at one point, um, Spock does mention that uh, you have to be, it has to be similar in size and mass because obviously there's a lot of, you know, sci-fi out there where, you know, something changes and like it goes quadruple the size or it's like way heavier or whatever the case may be. In this case, they actually do mention that it needs to be somewhat close in terms of uh, size and mass, which I thought was a nice little touch, actually. I Yeah, that was something that I did sort of, now that you mentioned, I do remember. And yeah, that was pretty neat that they're like, yeah, it has. it's not like uh, Infinite Vulcan. Right. Where, yeah. Where, where it's they, like, wait, they make what? the like 20 foot, yeah, they clone them and make the 20 foot tall Spock. Yeah, and I, I feel like that is the kind of thing where, yeah, I, I appreciated that. Uh, I appreciated that little uh, throwaway line in there just because it does make it a little bit more believable, for sure. Okay, so then they have him, like, cornered, and Anne has got him, like, at, at phaser point, and then she lets him go. And I'm yeah. like... <laughs> Like she's got to be the one of the worst security uh, people I've ever. And then she's like, "Oh, I shouldn't have done that." I think that's exactly what I wrote. I wrote, "Is is Anne the worst security officer ever?" Because yeah, you're right. She lets him go, and then immediately she's like, "Oh, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, it's I shouldn't like, have done that. That wasn't smart." Yeah, like she oopsies. knew immediately. Yeah, I, that was. Yeah, I that mean, was pretty it, bad. I mean, they throw that whole, like, fiancé thing in just so they could do this scene but that, and make her look completely Yeesh. inept. Yeah, I, I... I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think that, like a lot of these animated series, like, they are literally throwing baloney at the wall and very rarely does it ever stick. That's right, yes. So now Kirk, like, kind of deduces, I guess, that Winston might be a Romulan spy, which sort of brings us back to this whole notion of Romulans sort of being sub subversively trying to manipulate the Federation into provoking them or, or appearing to provoke them, which, again, we see that throughout, even into the next generation. And uh, 
it sort of, you know, at this point when I, when he kind of deduced it, I was thinking like, oh, that's interesting that there's this, you know, life form that can change form and the Romulans like, you know, recruit him to, to send him on this mission to try to provoke the Enterprise into entering the neutral zone, which I thought was kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, the, the sort of, that, that sort of part of the story for this episode actually I thought was, was kind of neat. Yep, and if that was like the only thing that they had done and they had actually kind of uh, followed that through to fruition, then I almost think that it would have probably worked. Um, but it's almost kind of like getting too late in it for me. Um, I think like at this point, we're talking about like maybe five minutes left to bust out the idea that, you know, it's a big Romulan subplot and that it's an elaborate uh thing ah uh, is it kind of too little too late maybe maybe a little bit I, I i think if they had focused a little bit more on this and sort of pushed all this and stuff to the to the to the side a little bit more i think it might have made for a better episode yeah i kind of agree yeah i i think it's a cool idea this it's kind of a cool little story but they they kind of dragged it out a little bit too long and then you get to the end and as as we've seen in other animated series episodes, it's like it's almost like the writers are like, "Oh, we only have two minutes left. We better like wrap, wrap it this all up, up. Yeah. as quick as we can." Yeah. Yeah, and I actually think maybe that was one of the things that you me- you mentioned it after your time limit, but um, that was one of the things you mentioned was that they'll probably <laughs> try count. to cram too much stuff into this episode, and inevitably it'll be too much, and they'll have to do like a knee jerk smash bang finish to it all and, and it'll just kind of end up being a big unsatisfying mess which i mean isn't that far from the truth really well that's true yes because when you get these uh these two romulan battle cruisers uh cruise in and they demand that uh, i guess in the 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 treaty or whatever it was like stipulated that any federation ship that entered the neutral zone could be like in uh what did they say? Confiscated. Confiscated. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that or seen that after this this episode. You know. Yeah, it must be like an old school uh, treaty. Right. It's like in the sub sub uh, categories or something. You know. Yeah, it'd be the kind of thing that like you know Jean Luc Picard would be able to like dig sift up. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> but anyway, so they these these Romulans show up and they say you must surrender your ship and we're gonna confiscate it and there's. There's a bit of a battle, which um, yeah, it's okay. It was okay. I mean, it's it's animated. I thought it was I thought it was decent for an animated show because you get the the you get the the scene where they they fire the phasers and the torpedoes at the same time, and you can actually kind of see it. Yeah, it's not just like flashing lights. Yeah, it was, it was it was not bad. Yeah, it's it's a big benefit really to the uh, doing it animated style, right? Is just that you're not going to have those cost restrictions that you sometimes run into, right? Um, but that being said, yeah, I mean, it's okay. Um, a lot of times with these animated series, man, you just kind of get to the end and it's like you look at your watch and think, like, is this done yet? Yeah. You're limited by what you can draw, is, I guess, is, is what that it is true. comes down yeah. to. That's yeah, true. And you know what? The one thing I guess we never really say, um, but it's probably... Uh, something that we should mention is just the fact that, you know, we're talking about an animated series that is, you know, maybe we're comparing it to like Lower Decks and Prodigy and stuff when like that's not really fair. A lot of times it's like still captions and you can tell it's just like the eyes and the mouth moving. 
Um, and I guess like maybe that was just like the limitations of the time. So we, we do need to be, we need to give it a little bit more credit maybe than it's due just because, um, I mean, I don't know anything about animation, but based on the fact that there's always like those faces with like just the eyes and the mouth moving. Yeah. That probably means like, that's probably the limit of what they're actually capable of doing, especially like, you know, what did this come out weekly? Maybe. I imagine it was probably weekly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess there's only so much they can do, right? Well, yeah, it's it's the seventies, right? I mean, there's it's 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 not nearly what it is today. The technology. Right. So in this battle, the I guess the Romulans kind of have them at their mercy, and then all of a sudden, uh, this was kind of this was a little bit more a little bit more of the far fetched uh, variety here. Uh, Winston sort of changes uh, changes sides here. He has a change of heart and decides ah these humans aren't so bad. And so he, he he turns into the deflector shield. <laughs> yeah, that was funny actually. Uh, to because you know I guess the Romulans were you know had them on the on the ropes and were about to finish them off, and he decided oh, I'm gonna because he like he like sabotaged the deflector shields originally. He was he like impersonated some engineer I guess and just completely wreaked havoc on the circuitry I guess, and then he decides at the last minute, ah, you know what? They're so they're not so bad. I'll save them. I'll I'll turn into the deflector shield. So like, did he go out of the ship and like touch the deflector shield with his well, tentacle first? Is yeah, I don't know actually. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself too, it's like really lucky and convenient that the deflector shield also happened to be the same size and mass as a human person, because if it was like really big, then basically they would never have really been able to, he wouldn't be able to do it, right? Well, it would contradict with what Mr. Spock said earlier, which... Um... And I mean, the animated series, the most important thing really is the uh, continuity. Oh, well, that's right, yes. <laughs> so anyways, they save the ship, and uh, he... I don't really remember what happens. I don't know if him and Anne end up making up or not. I don't really care. Yeah, I think that, like... This is, this is um, you've got here in the notes, which is, is very true. It's just a classic original series, you know, like, well, and then it was all solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very abrupt. And then, of course, we get the uh, classic uh, end of episode stinger from which we've seen many times. Uh, well, not many, but the last two animated series episodes, they always have that sort of thing where everyone's like gathered around and Kirk or someone else will have that big line with like the wink and uh, of course this time it's uh mr spock and dr mccoy they sort of have a bit of an exchange where uh what exactly did they say i think he says something to the effect of like if there was two mccoys maybe we could get the medical uh yeah we could yeah. get the medical uh you know backlog up to snuff or something yeah um, and i think like uh mccoy said something like i don't think the ship's ready for two spocks yeah something like there'd that there'd be like too much Vul too many vulcans around or something yeah like it was kind of like mccoy's like zinger back was like kind of lame like womp womp credits you know like he, he didn't really have that good of a, of a back a comeback you know I, I think that sounds about right yeah but uh yeah i mean and that's it that's the survivor kind of done and dusted. I, they never really said where Winston went, I don't think. I think he just kind of went off into Never Never Land. Into the abyss. Yeah, just kind of to never be seen again. And I don't think this wasn't a this wasn't a character from the original series they brought back, right? No, I don't think so, no. No, me neither. 
All right, just a few quick, uh, interesting uh, trivia uh, things here that I noticed. Uh, this is the first mention of Dr. McCoy's daughter, Joanna. And I believe that she was mentioned, like, sort of in the early series, like, documents that they put together, but just never, nothing ever came of it. But we actually, uh, he actually mentions her name in this episode. Yeah, which, you know what? Like, it's one of those really bizarre things, eh? Where, like, I don't know that I even knew this until, like, it kind of almost caught me off guard. So I was like, oh, wait. And then I thought, oh, maybe they just dropped that um, afterwards. But yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, it, it definitely, you know, is that little piece of trivia, right? Where, uh, you know, which, which main characters have children, right? Everybody remembers Kirk from the movies and, uh, you know, Crusher and, and everything like that. But this is one that I feel like you could really trip some people up with. Absolutely. I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. It's like on Seinfeld. Remember there was like one episode early on where George Costanza mentioned he had a sister? And yes. And we never see the sister in the rest of the yeah. show or hear about the sister in the rest of the show. And I believe that Jerry had a sister as well. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Jerry had a sister. No, yeah. George was always the only child, I think. But Jerry had a sister. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was Jerry. Yeah, I'm getting mixed up. And I think Elaine maybe did too because wasn't that one where uh, Elaine's father shows up and it's like, my sister always gets all the attention or whatever. Oh, God. Some of the stories from that episode. Yeah. Apparently that guy was, like, just out of his mind. Like <laughs> Elaine's father. Well, that... And I believe he was also in Star Trek. Oh, there you go. Nice little touch. Okay, uh, Uhura is seen in the background of on the bridge in this episode, but she didn't have any lines, which yeah, was that interesting. Stinks, but got to save that money having to pay uh, Nichelle Nichols, you know? Well, they did get her money's worth out of her. We'll, we'll mention that in just a second here. Now, this is also the uh, the first appearance of Emress, the, uh, the the cat lady. Oh, yeah, I did notice that, which is kind of cool because now we have Dr. Tana in uh, Lower Decks, right? And that's where this came from, so that's kind of cool. Indeed, yes, the Cations. Yeah. I are what they're known as. Yeah, this was the first first time you ever saw one was in the, yeah, it's cool. I like, this episode. I actually like that species as an idea. It's really cool. Um, so just a couple quick sort of production things. Uh, this is a very rare, very rare guest voice appearance by Ted Knight. And as we've discussed, and actually this is, you know, one of the next points I'm going to get to, but, uh, generally speaking, James Duhon voiced anyone that was not Kirk, Spock, Sulu, or McCoy and was male. <laughs> and that's the case in this episode as well. But this is a rare instance where they actually brought in someone to do the uh, uh, guest character. His name is Ted Knight. Yeah, and Ted Knight was famous from um, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Um, and I think I was reading that he had his own show at one point, the Ted Knight show. And I feel like when you Google him, the very first thing that you see is from Caddyshack. You know, the old guy in the screaming face. Um, that's probably where most people probably remember him from. Oh, I always remember him from the Survivor. The <laughs> yeah, series. exactly. <laughs> that classic, classic episode, eh? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Uh, now we mentioned Michelle Nichols. Uh, she didn't appear as a whore in this episode, but she did voice uh, Anne. I don't know if you oh, okay. noticed that. I did not at as all. As you were watching, no, no? I guess she uh, she did a, a well enough job of disguising her voice uh, to to fool Andrew. Yeah, I. That's a good job on her. Yeah, I, I, I kind of heard it a little bit. Well, once but, you know, um, right? That's the other thing. Yeah, I kind of cheated before I watched it. But anyways, well, and I also kind of knew that they they would 
used various actors to do various voices and so you kind of if you kind of have that on your mind ahead of time i think you do kind of hear yeah some of the actors like i've there was a a, i think i don't know if it was infinite vulcan or or the other animated series we did the pirates of orion but uh i could definitely hear james duhan you know doing other voices yeah a hundred percent yeah that one i definitely um yeah, that's definitely one that I can I can hear his voice, but just because I know that he does like pretty much everything. Yeah, I mean, he did in this episode. He did the Romulan commander, and I think there was a couple other ones that he that he did. He, I mean, he did basically everyone else. Uh, that's just sort of the the way it was on uh, these animated series episodes. He also did uh, Gabbler, which I think was I think that was one of the engineers. Yeah, I think it was uh, the one of the. I think it was the engineer that. Uh, I think that got knocked out when he was working on the deflector shields. I think that's the only one that makes any sense to me because I don't think I remember there being any other uh, just sort of like generic uh, red shirts kind of lurking around. Yeah, no, not not any that had um, not any that had lines anyway. All right, Andrew. Um, I think that's about it for. Uh, trivia production stuff um was there a memorable scene or a line from the uh, the episode that jumped out at you whether funny or otherwise you know what I, it's really kind of cheesy but i am going to just take the uh you know maybe if we had two mccoys we could get some of those medical backlog uh solved or whatever that was um yeah i uh yeah, I feel like that's uh, that's kind of a lazy one on my part, but it's the one I'm going to take. It's in there. They all count. Yep. For me, I'm going to go to uh, Mr. Spock. He has a pretty funny line, but he says it in a way that is very matter-of-factly. Uh, he says, uh, Doctor, you are a man of curious habits, but I have never known you to nap on the laboratory floor. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> I guess that was like the giveaway that this uh, this Vendorian was impersonating Dr. McCoy. He was taking a nap on the laboratory floor, which I think we've all done at some point in our lives, right? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> if nothing else, it really shows how bad that Vendorian was at uh, espionage and uh, sneaking uh, sneaking about. Like, if this was a Romulan spy, he would have been much, much better at... Uh, at, at uh, kind of uh, espionage than this guy. This guy is just bad all around, I'd say. McCoy would have woken up on like the, in like the broom closet or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, then. Well, that brings us uh, to the end of the review, Andrew, uh, as we always do. Uh, give me a final thoughts on the episode and give me a rating out of five Vendorian tentacles. I mean, I feel like the true survivor in uh, in this episode is me for being able to actually uh, make it through the full 24 minutes or whatever it is. Um, I was so disconnected from this, and I made the absolute horrible decision to watch this immediately after watching the uh, Lower Deck Season 2 finale, First First Contact. Um, and for anybody that's watched that episode, I mean, you can think of what, what you will, but man, it's just like, that was just like slam, like putting it, putting your car in park in the middle of the highway, you know, like I was really geared up for some more Star Trek. I watched this. It wasn't good. Um, I think that, uh, 
when Matt has to like bust out of his thesaurus and look up the word strange and confusing and use every adjective under the under the sun, then uh, that means that the writing here is just not up to snuff. Uh, and and for me, I can't go so far as to say that it was like a zero. Uh, so I'm going to give it a one out of five uh, Vendorian tentacles. But if a Vendorian tentacle touches me, uh, hopefully it can uh, watch the next episode of the animated series when it gets pulled and uh, do that episode of uh, RTR while I just lay on the uh, laboratory floor unconscious. Andrew's going to take a nap on the <laughs> laboratory floor. Yeah, exactly. Let the poor Vendorian watch uh, watch the next episode. Um, I, I actually thought this one was uh, half decent. Half of it was 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 decent. Uh, I, I wasn't totally put off by it. I thought that this, this plot that the Romulans were trying to do was 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 kind of interesting. Um, they'd recruited a more espionage uh, capable Vendorian. Who knows? Might have made things a little bit more interesting. But uh, there were some things like the whole thing with. Anne and her being Winston Carter's fiance, uh, not good. Uh, that was that was a very very. Uh, I don't really understand what the point of it was. I mean, but I thought that the rest of it, like this, you know, compared to the other two that we've done, I thought this one was somewhat better. Um, I didn't have to suffer through it, maybe the way you did. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I'm inclined to give this one a passing grade and go with three Vendorian tentacles out of five. I, wow. I thought it was, I thought it was decent, um, but not spectacular, and you know, a little bit of a step up from uh, some of the other animated episodes we've watched. That is, uh, just so uh, those of you uh, at home that are sending uh, in hate mail. Uh, Matt also gave a th two out of five to Future Tense, and he also gave a three out of five to Search for Spock. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm just joking, of course, but uh, I am just shocked. I think this might be the first time uh, in RTR history that we've ever been this far. Every once in a while, we're one off or um, you know plus or minus, but I don't know that we've had one in a long time, if ever where we've had such a divide. Um, I'm actually just quickly kind of going through it. And, and yeah, it's, I don't think it's ever happened, Matt. Uh, I almost feel like we need to tack on another five minutes and I can try to explain why this so episode is so bad. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you could explain how it's so good. Um, yeah, I am shocked. I, I, I'm, almost, I'm borderline speechless that, uh, that you thought this was that. Um, I... I I do have to kind of say that, yeah, I, I, I definitely watched Lower Decks right before I watched this, and maybe it kind of just set my expectations too high. But um, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Matt, because honestly, like I know we both love Star Trek, <laughs> and sometimes these are, are not enjoyable to get through. But I'm, I'm glad that you liked it because, uh, you know, uh, there is some good to be squeezed out of the lemon that is the animated series, I think. Uh, and I'm glad that you got to enjoy it, Matt, because uh, I have to admit, I really just didn't. All right, I think I hear the red alert siren, which tells me it is time to reach deep into the Romulan Centurion ep helmet of episodes. And I will draw a brand new one for Andrew, and he will have 
60 seconds to tell me everything he can tell me about the episode. Uh, Andrew, what are you thinking here? What are you, what are you, what are you hoping for? Uh, I said it last time, and I'm going to say it again. I am really kind of itching for a two-parter, um, and preferably one that I know. Uh, as you all are aware, I did not do great with, uh, you know, my kind of uh, first episode uh, of the season. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards, uh, yeah, I, I kind of want a two-parter, preferably one that is, like, wheelhouse territory you know matt like something that is going to be uh easy for me to get at least three out of three or four out of five you know all right well i've got one here for you and uh it looks like one and probably both of your wishes will come true very nice we do in fact have a two-part episode so as per the rules you will get a minute and 30 seconds instead of 60 and i think you will probably know this one we are going once again returning to the NX01. We are on the Enterprise. And the episode is called Broken Bow. Well, I feel like I should know that one, Matt. Uh, that is, you know, that's crazy because uh, we actually had the season premiere of Deep Space Nine as well. Uh, and by season, I obviously mean series premiere. So this is actually our second series premiere you got uh you got obviously uh emissary emissary and uh, now i'm getting this one if you manage to mention my favorite line i'll automatically give you five (laughs) there's one line in this episode that i find absolutely hilarious but uh andrew's writing furiously looks like he knows it looks like he thinks he knows a lot about broken bow i don't know how well i do i haven't seen this one in quite a while i guess we'll never know all right, I think Andrew looks like he's ready to go. I'm going to put 90 seconds on the clock, and your time begins now. All right, this was like a big event because it was a UPN exclusive, and this was actually released back-to-back as like a big opening uh, ploy for Star uh, for Enterprise, um, the new Star Trek series. And it opens with a big, exciting crash of like a farm and like a silo, and out pops, dun-dun-dun, a Klingon. I believe his name is like Krang uh, or Krang, something like that. Um, and that kind of leads us into the story. He uh, needs to be taken back to Kronos. Uh, and it's been a long while since they've seen Klingon. So it's very like uh, testy. Uh, the Romulans don't think that the new Warp 5 ship is ready, but they think this is a perfect opportunity to uh, potentially send it out into space on this, uh, I mean, relatively simple mission. So they get Archer, who's the captain, and all of his crew members. We get, like, good introductions to each one of them. Um, He kind of uh, is the last thing that kind of, you know, pushed the, uh, sorry, not the Romulans, pushes the Vulcans out of the way, um, basically says, like, we're ready and we're going. And that kind of concludes the first half of it. The second half of it, they go off on their adventure and they don't get very far until they're immediately run into trouble. Um, and so the big debate is, is whether they should phone the Vulcans and like basically ask for help or uh, if they should try to like suffer it for themselves. I think Krang ends up waking up. Uh, they push it really far and it's like very tumultuous, but they do end up succeeding in their mission and they're off on the big first mission. Yeah, your time is up. Uh... Yeah, I haven't seen this one in a while, but I think you've hit most of the main uh, main items. There's a, I think you got the basic 
the basic story is pretty much pretty much spot on, I think. And I'm assuming I didn't get uh, your favorite line. So uh, just as a little bit of a foreshadowing, a little bit of a uh, excitement, <laughs> what is, uh, you know, what what is your favorite line from this episode? Uh, there's a part of the beginning where they're sort of examining Clang. I think his name's Clang. Clang, Crang, and, something like uh, that, yeah. And... Uh, they're like they're like examining him, and they they there's sort of like this suggestion that maybe he didn't survive. And Archer like busts into the room, and he goes, "Excuse me, is this man dead?" <laughs> and it's just the way he said it. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. It was yeah. really funny. That's good. Uh, so of course, uh, for those of you that are longtime listeners, you'll know that this two part episode will be breaking broken up over four weeks. So basically, uh, we're gonna do uh, part one. Uh, in two weeks' time, and then we're going to do part two in four weeks' time, um, and that will give Matt a little nice break away from being in the hot seat while uh, we go through the series premiere of uh, Enterprise. This has been like the all-Enterprise uh, season, Matt. I don't know what's happening. They must be all crumpled up in the bottom of the hat or something because we seem to be getting all of them, but I'm actually not too bad about that because uh, I, I could use a little bit more Enterprise in my life. It's the law of averages, uh, you know, statistics uh, asserting themselves because, you know, we've been short on Enterprise episodes for the first three years here. That is very true. And, uh, I mean, the other thing that I just want to mention uh, right quickly here is that uh, we're getting a new Star Trek series this week, Matt. Um, we are on the precipice of Star Trek Prodigy. So, uh, the averages will change because we just added Star Trek Lower Decks uh, Season 2 to the hat. And uh, in a very short period of time, we're going to be adding in new Prodigy episodes, new Discovery episodes, new Picard episodes. And so uh, inevitably, we're going to get a little bit of new Trek in our lives. And uh, I don't know how you felt about Lower Decks, but um, I definitely have been just loving all the Trek in our lives. And I'm really super excited for Prodigy. I hope everybody else is. Um, and uh, make sure that you uh, stay connected here and on Hollow Sweet Media, because obviously it's going to be covered top, bottom, left and right. Uh, there'll be so much coverage on Star Trek Prodigy that you'll probably be sick of it, but uh, that's a good thing in my books. <laughs> it's true. We're going to have to live to be about 300 years old to get through <laughs> them all, but uh, could be worse. We could be just, uh, we, we, we could have the end in sight. That's true. And then and never get exactly, anything. Exactly, yeah. We'd have to start a new podcast on, uh, you know, Stargate Atlantis or something, you know? That's right. <laughs> And we don't need any more of those. No, we definitely do not. And uh, yeah, so meet us back in two weeks' time. I'm excited for Broken Bow. As we've been saying, Enterprise, like, it has aged very nicely. Uh, and uh, it is going to be just like sipping on a fine wine, a fine Romulan ale, if you will, uh, when we go back and see where it all started. So uh, I guess until... But it's illegal. But it's illegal. Well, until Deep Space Nine, then they made it legal again, right? Anyway, uh, we'll see you in two weeks' time then, Matt. Yes, be sure to return to us in two weeks' time where we will uh, discuss part one of Broken Bow. All right, bye-bye, everybody. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program 4. Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. 
and Picard's the other character trying to solve the mystery. So he leaves for that reason alone. It could be, and it could really be any character. Any one of of the main cast members could have gone with Data and been there with Data several days later, trying to solve what happened to the Enterprise. It's it, it, it's very very much a kind of a, a plot reason and nothing more. I think. Yeah, um, I kind of wish Data had stayed on the ship actually, because I would like to have seen him regress to a pocket calculator. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Sci-Fi Feminist, a feminism and pop culture podcast. I think I binged the first season of Discovery in one weekend. I was so blown away because for the first time we see this diverse crew consisting of an Asian female captain played by Michelle Yeoh, of course, who's one of my favorite actors, and various other characters of color on the bridge crew. And then most significantly of all, of course, is that for the first time in Star Trek history, we see a black woman, Michael Burnham, as the main protagonist. Computer, deactivate Holosuite. 